Let me see. I count. I count five of us here. Yes. And here I was thinking I could. Well, I had a pre-New Year's resolution to keep the episodes under two hours. That ain't happening tonight, is it? Nope. No. <laughs> I thought our New Year's resolution, Mike, was to get ten people on the host, Mike. Oh man, I can't wait for that. Off to invest in some more Advil. expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. For Saturday night, January 23rd, 2021, this is episode 33 of the Anime Roundtable Canada. Good evening once again from Six Points, about 10 minutes south of the Anime North Compound in the Toronto West End. Mike Nicholas at the helm. James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohamed Shamarki, and Jeff Gregg along for the ride this week. There are five of us. Once again, a reminder, you can contact us because we're lonely here and would love to hear from you. And you have options. Old school email, animeroundtable at gmail.com is one of them. Twitter and Instagram, at animeroundtable, are two others. Animeroundtable.com is our website for full show notes, links, and past episodes. We're on Facebook, but you don't see too much of us there. We're on Discord, you don't see too much of us there. Uh, we do have a Twitch channel, I'm not even going to mention that right now because we haven't used it yet, but... We'll try and be there a little more in the near future. Okay, let's go. Let's get the messy parts over with and let's go to. Well, let's do the, the obligatory COVID watch to start. And happily, last episode, I made the prediction that at least in Ontario, we would see more than 4,000 daily cases. That did not happen over the last two weeks. And actually, over the last couple days, it's gone down. It's dipped below 3,000 per day. That's a good sign. It's the, but, calm, it's the calm before the storm, Mike. Calm before the storm. Yeah, we're, we're wondering what to read into it. Unfortunately, ICU capacity and number of deaths, that's still concerning. Uh, we're, in, we're in the 50-ish and at times close to 100 range per day in this province here in Ontario. Calm before the storm, that's what Mohammed's thinking. I mean, they're going to open up because the numbers are low, but then it's going to spike. Some new variant's going to show up and more people are going to get it. And then we're going to be like seeing five, dig five digits a day, man, like tens of thousands. Yeah, I think in the last, what, month, two months, a new word came into the COVID vocabulary, variant. And word is coming down over the last 48 hours before we taped that the popular variant, okay, not popular variant, but the variant that had been coming out of the UK 
is not only more contagious, but potentially more fatal as well. And yeah, there are... Got up there and was like, yeah, is, this thing is more deadly than I thought. Mm -hmm. And there's concern, of course, that the vaccines may not be enough to handle it. I, actually, that's still up in the air. I guess we'll find out more. No, no, but, no. These vaccines are, are, are bulletproof. They're rock solid. They'll <laughs> take care of any variants, you know, A through B through Z. They'll, they'll, they'll cure it all, guys. Just let us have it. Let us please have it. They, they actually are designed for variants. So uh, hopefully they don't vary too much. But I, I did read like a report that's saying that like these variants were kind of factored into the design of the vaccine. So, so yeah, I know that's where we are. I think. For the most part, as long as the variations don't get too out of whack, the present version of the vaccines will be able to handle them, and then it becomes a bit more cat and mouse. So then the tweak, then the tweaks on both sides will begin to happen, I suppose. If, so annual, annual flu shots once we get the vaccines, and then yeah, we'll just keep rocking rolling with those uh, passports, guys. <laughs> I don't know about you. I already have my passport. I know, so do I. Yeah. That's the long-term ten-year version. That's what you should have invested in. One hundred percent. I has to, I still have mine as well. Okay. And on that note, COVID may have also claimed one of its most high-profile victims within the last twenty-four hours, as word came down. And this is, uh, let's go to Muhammad's death watch list. R.I.P. to the king, guys. R.I.P. to the king. The queen's still alive last time I checked. Well, uh, you yeah. know I, I, I mispredicted. I thought it was the queen. <laughs> Actually, it was the king. So, you know, technically I'm right. It was royalty. Who, who do we want to acknowledge first? Well, let's do Larry King, and then you can do uh, Hank after that. Okay. Yeah. Larry but, King. Yeah, he passed away. Died, died this morning, was it? I, I believe so. Uh, they they say it was it was like Saturday, so it might have been like early mornings. But yeah, yeah. Passed away at the age of eighty seven. Yep, eighty seven. He's Earlier been a host for he's been a host since eighty five. Um, interviewed over fifty thousand different people. You know, interviewed multiple presidents. Like Bill Clinton did a whole thing about him dying. It's it's a it's a, it's a big loss, guys. He had a lot of respect on both sides of the aisle in the states uh, in terms of political stripes. They announced, what was it, earlier this month that he had COVID and had been in hospital seeking treatment, although I don't think a cause of death has been officially announced. Doesn't yeah, really nothing officially yet. I mean, he had COVID, but they're not saying it's COVID, so it might be COVID, but... Which mm -hmm. complications. Exactly. Yeah. Most likely that. And, and of course, he, his health issues have been well documented. Multiple heart attacks, I think most notably. And see, like, do you have, um, like, you certainly seem to have memories of Larry King, Mohammed. Yeah, on CNN, man. His interviews were I, I didn't see, like, Right now, his interviews are blurry in my mind. I mean, he was the whole. It was like the um, the everyman kind of interview, like mm -hmm. the the next door neighbor interviewing his next door neighbor kind of stick, where like he just interviewed everyone kind of the same, but like in a friendly sort of way. Like he asked, yeah, that's the thing. He was no, he wasn't known to be confrontational in his interviews. Still exactly. very in depth, but not confrontational. And I think that's why he got 
earned so much respect. And from what I read about the way he did things, he didn't do too much in the way of extensive preparation. He got himself a game, (laughs) but then he just let her rip and let the guest really speak for themselves. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, it, it, his interview style kind of reminds me of, of the way you, you interview Mike. Like, I, I was re-listening to that episode you did with um, Matt Alt, And, um, yeah, it's like you just let let the conversation go. Let them just talk and shit. It's it's, it's cool, man. It's like how interviews should to do. Not another this whole, like, hard-hitting questions and whatnot. <laughs> well, there's time and place for those type of things. And, actually, we'll get back to the Matt Alt interview in a few minutes. But... The other weird memory I have of Larry King, because I, I didn't watch too much of CNN at the time he was in his heyday, but I, do, I forgot if it was in the late 80s or early 90s, but it was a one-time special. One night, NBC got him to host a variety show during the summer, and it was one of the most fascinating things to watch. I forgot who the acts were that uh, evening for that one-time show. But it was just fascinating to see Larry King host it. And I'm, I, I've been searching for any information concerning that one-time show. And it was referred to, I think, as the Larry King Variety Show. And I think it was meant to harken back to the... Uh, to similar variety shows of decades past, like Ed Sullivan, most notably Ed Sullivan, actually, because Ed Sullivan was a noted journalist in his own heyday. And obviously, obviously he had one of the most popular ones in history. And I think NBC wanted to see if it can capture some of that magic with Larry King, at least hosting at one time, but it was clear that it was just going to be a one-time thing. And Larry King stated as much at the end of the episode, thanking CNN for letting him do it that one time. But I thought the fact that they did it was just fascinating, regardless of the actual ratings and results. As I said, it was just a throwback to to a time that probably will never come again and a time that they tried to replicate in recent years nbc tried it again with the jay leno show doing a variety show during prime time hours and that failed miserably and i think that's the last time any any network television made an attempt at a variety show of any like an attempt given by any of the big four in prime time the closest you get is just you know reality shows uh being as uh for competition reasons right but not just not a simple variety show so that's the one memory i have of um that sticks out today when we talk larry king or at least when i think of larry king and then from larry king to Another king of sorts, there was Hank Aaron as well. Hank Aaron passed away yesterday. And word was he died in his sleep. I think I think many will say the legit home run king. I was say the true home oh, run yeah. king, right? The true hammer. The true what hammer. We saw. And 
I think what came out in mem- in terms of memories of Hank Aaron was, yeah, he broke Babe Ruth's all-time home run record. But obviously many, most of us are too young to remember it. But what people forget is what he faced at the time. It, now, and with all of this talk of racial tensions and all, people have to remember, or people have plain forgot what Hank Aaron was going through at the time. He faced a lot of threats and a lot of hate as he approached Babe Ruth's record. And I think that fact is kind of lost today. What would people remember of him, and this is the good news, is that he was very great, graceful in the way he handled himself. And he remained graceful through the decades since, even as his record was eventually shattered and under, of course, very dubious circumstances, at least the way many people will look at it. But he just handled himself so well. And I think our Canadian connection is who he was actually close friends with former Toronto Blue Jays manager, Cito Gaston, as well. And in a not-so-surprising way, he went out of his way to pump up Cito Gaston's own reputation, too. I remember when Cito Gaston managed his last game for the Toronto Blue Jays uh, almost a decade ago. They played a video tribute, and one of the people who gave a tribute was Hank Aaron. And Hank, I think, just said something to the effect of, Cito Gaston is a bunch of things. He is the first black manager to win the World Series. And I think to this day, the only one. Somebody correct me on that? He's still the only uh, black, black manager to win the World Series. Oh, wait. I think that might have changed last year with, uh, with the Dodgers. At the end of all that, he just said, but to me, Cito is my friend. And he can always call me that. But people didn't know that Cito had a link to Hank Aaron that way. And they, are, and they were good friends until the end. Okay, that's kind of depressing to talk about those two. Uh, Hank Aaron passed away at the age of 86. So Hank Aaron, Larry King. Yeah, what a way to start 2021. <laughs> it kind of has started off basically where, where 2020 ended. It's as if it didn't skip a beat. Okay, on the topic of Larry King's interview <laughs> style and what have you, and preparation or lack of preparation for doing stuff, James, welcome back. Indeed. Welcome back this week. Uh, missed, uh, missed having you around last week, but understand. I understand. Uh, work. Work's been busy. Okay. I'm happy James is around again because now we can tell a little bit more about some of the behind the scenes stuff 
in relation to the Matt Ald interview. First of all, James, what was your take after the Matt Ald interview? I think it's uh, what you guys discussed uh, in the last episode and stuff like that. We brought about uh, our conversational style uh, and we flowed, I think, between the topics. We hit a lot of the topics we had talked about in prep about what we wanted to hit. And we admitted there's a lot you could cover in this book. And we looked at those two bookends, the first chapter and the last chapter. But as we said, that last chapter could be its own thing, as we said. So I think we touched on it, but we didn't have to go really in depth, which we did. That would have been an interesting conversation. It would have been, yeah, well, we would have been a four-hour conversation. If that was the minimum. I think it flowed. Uh, and sometimes it just happens. Like, he'll, like uh, Matt Ald or your person interviewing you, they'll hit a point and it triggers something, right? And if you've done that preparation, stuff like that, it might bring up uh, something you've talked about in prep, like we talked about. Or it might lead us on a different road and stuff like that. But I think all the roads we explored were great. I think I I enjoyed how that went. I'm glad you came along for the ride, James. I'm really glad you did. So thanks. And no, I I know you you were definitely you're you're thinking about it, and sometimes you overthink things. And I think we just had to get our heads on straight, and we just let it rip, and away we went, and uh, we let the cards uh, fly where they may, and. I think a great conversation uh, turned out. Yeah, I, I guess we have to backtrack a little bit. This is the story that I want to tell everybody about the interview and the more specifically the preparation. So I think I, I felt unprepared for that interview. I will tell you that. And, and remember, maybe much like Larry King, Larry King style, I didn't, I never like to use the word interview. I, I I prefer to use the word conversation or chat because we weren't really out to corner anybody. But that morning didn't feel ready for the conversation, for the recording with uh, Matt Alt. And James and I arranged to meet up on Zoom to go through like our notes on each of the chapters and then pick out something that we think would come up. But the process was so slow. You think these episodes are long. Within, like, we, we, were, we, we were hoping to just pick out something we want to talk about as we went along. And we only got through maybe one or two chapters in two hours of, t- of prep. And then James just simply said, Oh, we know the book well enough. We already, uh, there are points in all of this that we know very well, and they'll probably just come up naturally as we chat with Matt. And that's basically what happened. And I think there were certain points we agreed on that we'd like to start that conversation with, and we thought it would be a good thing to tie it to what our conversation with Fred Schott since uh, Matt Alt knows him quite well and stuff like that and it really kicked it off well yeah and yeah we 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 brought up names that he that he would clearly respect and yeah we were off and running and it we just didn't look back and and for reference i'm have to constantly continuously plug 
that Japan Foundation presentation that had both Matt Alt and Fred Schott from back in uh, December, I think it was, or was it was it November? But it's in the show notes of of a recent episode for sure. And if you have the chance to see it, see it because then you'll you'll get to know the real like just how much the chemistry is between those two and just how close um, Fred Schott and Matt Alt have become over the years. But yeah, that was in my eyes, a real treat to have talked to Matt Alt. Okay. Uh, grade me, uh, grade me, James. How did I do in trying to explain the last chapter to Jeff and uh, Kevin? I think you guys did all right and stuff like that. It, it, there's a lot you could take out of that last chapter. And the thing is, the way we start that journey and then go through the middle chapters, which a lot of it we've heard before, but then to bring it to that last chapter and talk about things that, yeah, we did know about, but then it's like, hold the phone, how it then ties into uh, the lighter side turns a bit dark, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it definitely is food for thought and definitely food for thought for the future and stuff like that, especially in the present. It's topical. it's topical now with the inauguration having happened a few days ago. And the and, uncertainty bounce off, right? So Yeah, and I think over the last couple of days we've I've I've personally read reports about, you know, a lot of QAnon believers wondering, well, it didn't happen. You, whatever it is that was supposed to happen. <laughs> oh, that and now they're wondering wonder, what's next. And now they're all, they feel so lost. No, no, it's 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 all good. They they just made a mathematical error. Trump will come back in March and we can capital. <laughs> yeah. So but it's the thing we talked about before. It's like critical thinking seems to be out the window and stuff like that, especially with how people read things now on the internet. It used to be when you were going through a newspaper or a book or whatever, and we even talked about it in the interview, that when you see those endnotes and stuff like that, like actual research and looking at a thing and making sure it's factually accurate is taken into account. And the yeah, truth right. of the matter. And now it's just a pro statement on Twitter or the internet. And then crazy shit happens, or you can give your hot take and away you go, right? And that's bullshit. Like, at the end of the day, even if you've got a university degree, then use your fucking university degree and get the critical thinking through your brain and get it going. You know what I mean? And we all try and do do a bunch of weighing there, right? But yeah, what's happening right now with a lot of them is they seem so wayward and lost, and now. What will happen to them? And now other parts of the far right and the alt right are trying to scoop them up. Well, yeah, I mean, for their own, at that for point, their own they don't know where else to go, right? Because, you know, white supremacy and QAnon aren't necessarily the same thing. There are people who subscribe to QAnon who aren't white, necessarily white supremacists. But, hey, membership is, well, they're always looking for members, I suppose. So, but it, it was interesting. We looked at the Japanese side in that last chapter, and something good may have happened. We don't know if this story actually happened, as we said, with Train Man and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. if it did, then that's a great story. But okay, well, unfortunately, we can see the flip side from 4chan, where 
someone can take advantage of those for the wrong reasons, right? So, yeah. well, and we that, all have to study that was that. my and that was my point. I I forgot to bring up my last point concerning that. Uh, going back to the uh, QAnon believers, the those boards have been active again in trying to recruit. So, four uh, chan eight kun, they're still around. And they're still doing the business in that sense. So, and the story will keep going. I guess. We'll, I guess that's another conversation we hope to have with uh, Matt Alt, and hope to continue here as well. And I think you put a link up, didn't you, Mike, uh, to one of the interviews Matt did with another person uh, on that last chapter? Yeah, so yeah. I, come, I mentioned why come Japan, and he's been on a bunch of other things and. For reference, if you're on Facebook or follow Matt Alt on Twitter, he'll put up links to all the other shows he's done. But I put up uh, Why Come Japan as well, and they tried to tackle it, and you can hear that and watch the YouTube video and see what, how that turned out. Yeah, but it was actually, as we said, a great thing of seeing uh, the influence, the back and forth between uh, Japan and then the rest of the Western world and stuff like that. So, And uh, Omo, do you have a thought from the interview since this is the first time we've had you on since then uh, as well? I like, I like the bits at the end, the history building and so forth, just the um, the difference between innovation, the whole, the whole bit at the end about the iPhone and Sony and that whole bit was pretty great. I do like how the end, um, you guys just kept going. And I'm like, oh, man, is it over? <laughs> Did they get to promote the book? And then you promoted the, promoted the book. I'm like, that's cool. You got it. <laughs> well, Matt was very good with that point. He's like, oh, yeah, the book, that thing. <laughs> he, was, he made fun of it because in the end, we were talking about the subjects of the book. And that was the point. So, And I will plug it again. Pure invention. How Japan's pop culture... Conquered the World by Matt Alt in fine bookstores anywhere. Okay. All right, let's get to... I guess we should get to the meat of the episode. So for us, the big story that caught our attention this week is somewhat close to home, as Toronto-based Wattpad announced it had been acquired by Korean internet giant Naver, and a deal worth about 600 million U.S. dollars. Naver is known throughout most of Asia as the owner of Wine, which is the most popular instant message app in Japan. Here in North America, they're probably more well-known for the Webtoon app. And that's the key point in the Wattpad news, since presumably features of both Wattpad and Webtoon will be merged together. Now, um, my own personal history, I think, what is it? Wattpad's been around for more than a decade, I think almost 15 years now. And when I was holding fascination with being able to read books and read fiction on a smart device like an iPhone at the time, I had I had Wattpad on my phone for a bit and it didn't totally interest me because I think I was more looking for, for public domain books and the like, but Wattpad obviously over time has been, has taken on another direction more. And I think it really took off in terms of it's as a depository for 
fan fiction mainly. I see a lot of hair. I see a lot of Harry Styles fan fiction there now. <laughs> and uh, but I think reading little articles about it, I think uh, it has a good pool of intellectual property right now. And I think they've been able to make a few entertainment deals, books and movie deals with surrounding some of that. So there's a lot of potential there, but I don't know how much it's actually made. And I think that's part of the question marks in all of this. And Naver is more capable of being able to monetize that potential. So I think that was part of the deal there. But I think the other thing that has my attention about Wattpad or about this deal is that, well, Wattpad's Toronto-based. Going back to our interviews, we mentioned with Fred Schott, that technology company that specialized in fiction was, was also founded and still based here in Toronto before it got bought out by Rakuten. And that's Kobo. So I draw... Maybe not. I don't think it's a direct parallel, but when I think of what uh, of this, I think about the Kobo story as well. Okay, guys. Um, who wants to Who wants to dive in? Who wants to start giving some thoughts on this one? This one, because it's a fa fascinating story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And webtoon. Yeah. Web. Um, I'll go to webtoon in a sec. But does anyone want to take a kick at this one? I mean, I do, but I, I think it connects to Webtoon as well. So maybe I can eventually, you know, transition it um, into that. But I, I've always found it interesting. Um, I've uh, several years ago, um, I had the opportunity. I was um, at the uh, Wattpad, I guess, headquarters um, or their offices, and it very much to me reflected um, their website. I never went to it that often, but um, it always like compared to Archive of Our Own or Fanfinch fanfiction.net it always seemed like the classier of the three hmm. it seemed like the more professional um but also um still fairly lighthearted. and i think that their their office reflected that but i think you brought up um, a few good points about like the um trying to market it um like with adaptations um and with naver um with the webtoon app you know we've seen crunchyroll and and others um, sort of try to, um, you know, start with those adaptations. I think Lore Olympus um, on the webtoon is probably the highest profile. Tower of Draga, um, I think, is another one that I think started out, out as a, a webtoon. So it's, I don't know, there's so much fascinating with the, the idea of this um, Korean company that's most known to North Americans as a Japanese, uh, you know, communication app. Um, for the most part, um, I haven't updated it in a couple months, but I've uh, tried to start a web uh, web comic on Webtoon because it's it's kind of the the default um, place for original um, uh, comics at this point. Um, and I think that with um, Wattpad, uh, the potential of kind of integrating those, um, I'm not sure how well it's going to go because you know, there are some intellectual properties, um, I'm sure, with Wattpad, but I think it is more known for fan fiction, which is very difficult to monetize unless it's Fifty Shades of Grey, I suppose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, versus, 
um, Webtoon, you know, there's lots of uh, fan fiction and uh, parodies there. I love Scoob and Shag um, on Webtoon, which is a parody, um, kind of Scooby-Doo and cartoons meets Bleach. But it's, I think it's mostly original properties, which is, you know, more easier to monetize and adapt for sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm very curious what's going to happen with, with, you know, trying to do that with Wattpad. Yeah, I forgot about not just Harry Styles fan fiction, lots of Harry Potter, Drake, uh, Malfoy. Oh boy. <laughs> Fanfic uh, fiction. Surprise, surprise. Well, um, like that that sort of thing is is the history of, of fan fiction and fan culture in general, like, you know, mm -hmm. going back to Star Trek. So, 100%. you know, there's, there's, there's a rich history of pairing <laughs> together, um, you know, characters like that, but it's it's hard to really make money off of that well which means i guess the bigger questions i have is will fan fiction have a place in in the future of wattpad i think so like even even webtoon has you know derivative um comics which i think is great um it, you just have to be smarter about how you know you you monetize and can support yourself you have to use supplement uh, supplementary income like patreon or coffee or uh, i guess test your luck at <laughs> uh, at conventions uh to see like uh which companies are you know locking or you know dropping the hammer on on that kind of content so hopefully you know that fan fiction content will get people in and then they, they will find interest in the original properties, which I think would benefit lots of people. Um, it's hard to start any kind of, of fiction or artistic project with an original property, um, you know, especially without, you know, any sort of established, um, you know, backing or popularity. So I, I think there's there's potential there, but I don't think it's going to be easy. Yeah, I, I just don't know what to make of it. I mean, I'm not as familiar with the two apps now as they are, even though, even though like Webtoon has sat in my phone for a little while and I thumbed through it. Okay. Somebody give me a thought here. Cause once again, this is the Rip Van Winkle anime fan, manga fan <laughs> about to come out. The amount that it was sold for did surprise me. You, you didn't think it was that much. You didn't think it shouldn't have been that much or you're surprised it got that high. Like, well, 600, I think it was 660 million more specifically. Like, kudos to the owners for being able yeah. to cash <laughs> out like that. Well, they're not totally cashing out. Right now, the plan is that it'll still operate independently. And Alan Lau, the owner or one of the founders, says they're not. He's not done yet. And both uh, both co-founders will still remain involved in the business to this point. That happens but, yeah, the first time usually out. too. And we saw that with Funimation too, with uh, Gen in there. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Uh, well, in there, and he's still uh, there. I guess mm -hmm. in my mind, despite being there, still cashed out in a sense. Like he's a lot richer now, and yeah. so I think it's well deserved. Definitely higher than I expected, but hey. People pay, people pay what they think it's worth in the end. That's how it goes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, okay. Give me a thought in terms of, well, not necessarily publishers, but apps. What's been popular 
in terms of things like digital comics these days? Like, has there been a go-to app these days for things like digital comics? We, we, we can, we've had that sort of in terms of novels to some degree. What about Comixology? Yeah, Comixology. So, yeah, like, Comixology is essentially like the traditional Western comics, though. Um, like, it's, you know, there's definitely indie stuff there, but a lot of it's still kind of based on that uh that kind of format that you'd find in the in the superhero genre like you're looking at you know everything's based around that 20-ish page model even if it goes less or more there's there's some graphic novel type of stuff there but i think when it comes to things like indie comics i don't know if there's you know a, a dedicated app that's catering to that and i think for for manga it's um largely like the company's own app although apps although you can find things on um you know your um amazon or your comicsology technically yep. and then there is, there is the the korean like south korean model um of the vertical comic which is what webtoon is yes. that you can also find on ta on tapas i think or tapas i'm not really sure the pronunciation but those are the two main ones there is webtoon and tapas how developed would you say is the culture for reading manhwa and manga on smart devices like we we i hear a lot about it but is it that developed is it like in, in asia itself more specifically can like in, in Asia, it, it it is more because you know you have that culture of uh, um, transit, right? So being on a subway, and that's why the the vertical scrolling comic um, sort of boomed in popularity, because you can just you know continue scrolling down, and you don't have to worry about. I mean, I guess swiping the pages is almost as a, as efficient, but you know you get the continuing story without that break. I, I get where um, you're going with the like. It never dawned upon me the vertical swipe, the like ver going vertically. It didn't dawn upon me that that's actually a thing. So, yeah. So I think that's been sort of a, a major player, and it's interesting because it completely locks um, the the experience to the virtual. Um, it's it's what Scott McCloud mentioned. I think it was in his um, either rein, reinventing comics, but he mentioned it in making comics as well. Um, uh, Scott McCloud is a, a comic book um, artist and author um, who's also written a lot about um, sort of the art of of comics, and he had this um, idea of the infinite canvas, which for years never realized itself, and now it kind of has with the with the vertical scrolling comic. Um, at least in a way, um, it's still a little bit more limited than what he envisioned, but it's essential. It's very close to his his vision. Um, but it's it's interesting because it completely locks it to the virtual, which means um, you have to have that either micro um, payment, micro transaction, or subscription, or like merchandising uh, type of approach. You're not going to sell. You can modify these stories into a print book but it's so much more difficult when you're creating something for this um essentially completely different medium like it is comics but it's there's a lot of different conceits um around uh, the idea of something virtually scrolling. no you you just hit on an interesting point to me because like 
the ver the uh, the whole vertical concept because you know, forever for the longest time obviously for the last thirty years better or however long we've done our web surfing we've read text in a vertical like vertical manner without it really mm -hmm. stopping almost continuously and I thought of the vertical scroll scroll specifically in in visual works like comics and graphic novels. I thought of the vertical scroll more as an access accessibility issue, not an artistic issue, but what you just said suggested they are they are looking at it that way. Well, well definitely and I think it part of it is trying to um make it stand make your work stand out. Um part of it is just um sort of you you have to do it um or it you know the the medium lends itself to take to you know experimenting creatively with that uh you know it's it's been a struggle for me as i've tried to kind of figure out the medium um but there's a lot of things you can do with like manipulating time right so if you have um if you include like a long um segment of white or black to act as like a transition it it can almost give what um is generally um, you know, all the time passing in a comic is a visual shorthand or an illusion, but you can essentially manipulate the um, a lot of the experience and surprise. Um, so, you know, with a traditional comic, if you have the two-page spread open and your eyes dart to the, the corner, you can spoil what happens, uh, you know, in, in seven panels or what have you. But with the idea of a vertical comic, it's it's really interesting because you can, you know, again, manipulate that time and keep that surprise. I mean, I guess you could scroll down to the bottom and then scroll back up. But if you're reading it as intended, um, there's a lot of potential there. But again, it's, it's interesting because there are restrictions. You have a limited um, vertical space. It's, you know, you can't have a, a long um, establishing shot to show like the... A, a beach coast as easily. Once again, going back to the two page to a two page spread, you can't yeah. have a two page image like sometimes yeah. you see in comics and manga and other types of graphic novels. That's not something you you're that would work here in this concept, right? Exactly. So, as I said, then it, 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 then the way the image is shown, the way the story is eventually laid out, so to speak, it changes slightly. Like you're describing concepts that maybe are at the moment way above my head, a little <laughs> bit. No, but they're 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 interesting because these are things sometimes maybe as a reader you have to experience. I, I think you know definitely from um, like a creator uh, side too. Um, my first um, sort of I guess not chapter, my first uh, page or issue, whatever you want to call it. Um, the set piece was a Ferris wheel, which was perfect, you know, uh, vertical scrolling, that kind of thing. And I got the end of that um, page and I was or that idea or that scene. And I was excited, like, OK, I'm really getting this. Um, what what I can possibly do with this vertical idea? Like I have a character jumping from the top and, you know, time passing as he's falling down. And then I'm I'm getting to planning the more of my stories. And I'm I'm thinking, oh, oh, no, not everything's going to involve people falling or climbing um how, how can i how can i still use this format 
um, and have it be less kind of overt and um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a webtoon. You have to scroll. Um, So definitely there are artists, you know, doing, I mean, I'm fairly amateur. There are artists who are being able to do it incredibly well, but even though, um, you know, it's been around for probably 10, 10 years or so now, I feel that it's still in its infancy and still in, uh, a realm where it could completely change or even go away in another 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. Who really corners the market on the webtoon concept right now? The concept that you just described. Is it Korea? Like, Is it more Japan? Is it more China? I think it's it's independent creators. Like as far as um, ones that maybe have more of a, a traditional um, you know, media approach. Um, it probably is Korea. Um, Japan is still very, um, there are a few Japanese, uh, comics out there using that format. Um, but you know, Japan has the, the manga culture pretty cemented, um, which they have broken away from. I think, um, Hitalia was originally a, a web comic. I'm not sure what format it was in. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I'd say mostly Korea, but also just independent. So people from around the world, um, the kind of indie scene, it's, it's obviously a completely crowded market, but um, I think that there are, um, you know, countless stories and ideas. And if you go to the, the Webtoon uh, homepage, at least from uh, North America, I think you mostly see these kind of um, popular um, indie comic ideas. So variety of genres a lot of them either vaguely anime manga or um video game inspired um but uh you know the kind of general variety you'd see with with the indie uh the indie scene of the last 10 years or so hmm. i guess we'll just have to like as i said since the deal has been announced maybe i want i will try and look up a couple more stories in both apps Although I'll probably avoid the Harry Styles, Harry Potter ones. I'm sure a crossover that is exactly that exists. Here's a shovel. Can you dig it? Okay. (laughs) I guess the last thought I'll give is more just personal. It's, I remember going through the lunchroom at my work one day. And I saw one of my supervisors actually reading a comic on her smartphone. And that tells you, that told me something anyway. I thought I was the geek in that sense. No, this is something. There's something going on here, and I'm still trying to understand it, to be honest. I guess I should just read up on it. Webtoon, Wattpad, yep, they're in the app store. There's an app for those. I have friends <laughs> who read the Korean Webtoon stuff. It's interesting so, now that it's finally in the spotlight, I would say. Because my friends have read stuff like Tower of God and Noblesse and like the, the what was it, God of out of high school or whatever i don't remember what that one's called oh yeah like and it's interesting to see that now we're seeing anime and animated adaptations of these titles i think i think crunchyroll was pretty smart in uh putting down money for those 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think and that's the key thing that too on the light novel side that some of them have already been adapted before or they got their start on the web as web yeah. novels and stuff like that. Ascendance of the Bookworm being one and others. I think the one uh, reincarnated at Slime, like basically they were there and now it's them, I guess, giving the extra spit and polish and putting them uh, into actual book form and stuff like that. And then sometimes they actually get that anime adaptation like they we've seen. But there's been various uh, things that they can do with that. And one of the ones I was wondering, Wandering Witch was another one where some of them, they start off one way and then they can go in different ways. Like that one for Wandering Witch, the offer went through Amazon, through Kindle, before they hit a big publisher, came to them, and then they started releasing it in the traditional way. And then they got the anime last year. And another one, just to point off from that, that was different too was that I forget which, uh, if it was an app or how our website dedicated to the mobile sphere, but it was, um, if it was for my daughter, I would even defeat a demon lord. Supposedly, he wrote that story originally on a mobile platform in relation to reading it on your phone before it finally uh, caught someone's attention and then it was released in a more traditional book format and stuff like that. Interesting how some of these things develop now, like they can come from anywhere, right? Even these apps and other places before they finally hit, I guess, that mass potential. I don't know what you would call it. You know what I mean? Where they hit more eyeballs. And I think that, and once again, that comes back down to the motivation for that deal, I think. The idea of, 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 like, okay, we may criticize... Wattpad for for what it has now, but we're but it is based on its potential. All that intellectual property, uh, fan fiction, all aside, I think obviously there's a p- good pool of IP in that that made it appeal to Naver. In that, and what led well, and, and we, apparently it wasn't just Naver in on it. Apparently, uh, uh, according to reports, there were other names associated with a possible bot as possible suitors. So what, what James mentioned actually reminds me that um, as far as like the Webtoon app, um, I think it's worth noting that there's kind of two streams Um, like something, uh, you know, like what um, I do is, which is more amateur is on what's called Webtoon canvas. And then there's um, Webtoon proper for the uh, works that are essentially sponsored by um, Webtoon or I guess Naver itself. And uh, you get, you know, you can add music if you get, I guess, picked up um, by Webtoon proper. Um, they, I guess, you know, you sign away some of your rights, um, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, you get a lot of advantages. They do advertising for you. Um, they start, um, you know, they will essentially uh, pay for some of your production. Okay. It's, it's interesting. Your agent. Okay, so that's how the model works, because I was wondering how you would work those models depending on can the creators, it's like, okay, I'll take a more arduous road, but I'll get more money in the end if I can make a go of it. Or it's like, okay, maybe they'll help me out, but they'll get a little bit piece of the pie as well. Yeah, exactly. So if you're popular enough, they'll essentially scout you. Um, and, you know, I guess, I mean, take advantage in the in the kindest definition of the word and also maybe a little bit of the mean definitions. But, you know, they're, they're I guess, as you said, taking taking bigger pieces of the pie. Nothing personal, it's business. <laughs> As a as a former president once said, 
Which president was that? Fairly recent one, I think. He who will not be named. Okay. He cut down an apple tree. Yeah, that too. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that's fairly recent too. Okay. Let's take the break. When we return, well, let's talk a little bit more about intellectual property and its protection uh, as we uh, revisit a headline from last week. That's one of a bunch of bullets. Next, it's the Anime Roundtable on the Six Talk Podcast Network. My nephew liked the Power Rangers, and I did this on his birthday where he had all his friends around. They were like, Green Ranger? I said, let me show you the real Sentai. I'm going to show you the episode where Green Ranger actually died. And they were sitting there looking. A couple kids started crying like, no, Green Ranger can't be daddy. And the parents were like, what are you showing our kids? The Anime World Order podcast. Not suitable for children because the truth hurts. Visit us online at www.animeworldorder.com. And the podcast now continues. Nicholas Austin, Ing, Shamarki, Greg, all around the table. There's five of us continuing the conversation in front of a virtual audience. Thank you for listening. Online by the Six Talk Podcast Network, official podcast, Anime North. See, I was so worried coming into this taping, and, and it's sort of like me and James preparing for an interview. That we had no ideas, nothing to really talk about. And here we are during the break sorting through the what bullets will not be loaded into the chamber in this segment. I think we chose some good ones. So here we go. The bullets. These are items presented in point form, but in the process can become an essay. And with only an hour down... I get the feeling we have a couple essays coming. Okay, let's let's go back for a couple seconds. Back to last episode, and then in a roundabout way, talking about what we talked about in the last segment. Shueisha. We talked about Shueisha last time. We, taught, we said that they were uh, doing copyright takedowns. Well, Shueisha came out over the last, well, almost immediately after we taped the last episode. And they denied that they are involved in all those takedowns. They, they, it wasn't from them, but a third party using their name without permission. <laughs> There's a certain irony in that, I think. <laughs> but they were falsely, but they were, they were saying they were falsely represented by an individual sending in those claims. So, what gives? <laughs> Someone wanted to be a troll, and they did their job well. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, they're not being. It's not as if they're being paid. So, because you know, where exactly bad. did the source originally come from? Because it makes me wonder if something got lost in translation, or yeah, know, right. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm you just know, surprised how easy it is to, uh, you know imitate or uh, masquerade as yeah. an incredibly popular and fairly massive Japanese publishing company. <laughs> well, years ago, 
when the internet was first starting. I remember coming across on some message boards about, like there was a, the old rec arts boards, right? And I saw rec arts television, and then there was a thread for friends. And then you, you scroll down and obviously there are some mainly fans, but then you got the odd person who said, I'm just not a fan of the show. And that's all it said. I'm just not a fan. <laughs> I'll tell, maybe they explained why it didn't appeal to them and it was constructive and all. And then right. And then the first reply was from somebody claiming to be NBC saying, we are going to demand that you take down this post. Our lawyers are on it. Oh, wow. Wow. Obviously it probably wasn't them, but that's the story. It, it, I could, have, it could have been, it could have been NBC. What the hell do they know? Sometimes they, they couldn't keep David Letterman. Or Conan O'Brien, for that matter. But that—that's sort of what what I what I think about when I read that story, which also dates me, I guess, because this was like in the first couple of years where the web started to become a thing, and first couple, which also meant the first couple of years of Friends too, because the two kind of go together, at least in my mind. I'm just trying to read the the whatever few reports I could about Shueisha, but apparently, yeah, yeah, you you may not be kidding on the trolling part though, Kevin, because I think it uh, nicely degenerated pretty quickly. Okay. Next bullet, I guess the next bullet. Cool. Item. Well, I I did not realize that Studio Ghibli is about to release another movie until I saw the odd report, and it still didn't register. So James had to remind me. Way to go, James. I thought we had talked about this before, though, Mike, about this new CG movie for Ghibli, because this was a big one for... Sorry, I said that wrong, but Ghibli, yeah, it was a big one for them because it was their first CG film. Because remember, they were all about the traditional cinematic animated experience. Yeah. First of all, all, I'm not going to doubt that you brought it up to me before, but I am the oldest here. So that 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 age may finally be showing. Bad luck! But it is interesting that they're finally going the CG route. Like, yeah, they had that very simplistic traditional style, and this is going to be quite the departure for them. Quite a thing to adjust to for anybody who's looking for a Studio Ghibli film, and it looks like something from Pixar. And and I saw the preview of Earwig and the Witch. It had the same, it had the feel, the tone of a Studio Ghibli film is not the look. But it looks like it's worth watching and it must be noted, yeah. The the master's son is is the director Goro Miyazaki is directing this. But I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what to say. What else to really say at the moment concerning concerning Earwig and the Witch? Well, it's going to be in theaters soon. Supposedly, uh, was it February third? Uh, they said uh, in the U.S. and then it's going to be streaming on February fifth, starting. But it's going to be HBO Max, 
like hey. they've done for many of their other things. So who knows how they would get streaming up here in Canada since G Kids uh, deals with Canada and the U.S. That'll be an interesting thing to see uh, what bridge that crosses. But at least they're giving people the option to stream, unlike another uh, company called uh, Aniplex uh, USA which still seems to think theaters are going just fine and dandy and haven't offered streaming versions of the movies <laughs> they plan to release. And who knows what will happen with uh, Demon Slayer, right? Ugh. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, that. Maybe uh, an actual Demon Slaying will be happening. Who knows? I, I saw uh, today, right before the taping, that uh, Demon Slayer Season 1 is on Netflix. I was about to mention that. Yeah, it yeah. came up uh, yesterday. It was so, funny. Uh, you guys were talking about that uh, last episode. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking about that. And you know what? I was thinking about it more uh, for Demon Slayer when you were talking about making it big and all that stuff. I was thinking of it more in the cultural sense when I was saying making it big and stuff like that uh, before when I think it was the Matt Alt interview. Because in Japan, it's been so big, right, that it crosses generations like grandparents can talk to their kids and stuff like that. And you're not going to see that, obviously, in other markets and stuff like that. And that's how it kind of has that yokai watch type of phenom feel to it in my mind. And that's why Viz didn't release it right away. That's why when it was part of the Jumpstart initiative in Shonen Jump, they didn't pick it up. They didn't think it would do well. I think it's, 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 I think on a bit of a smaller scale, the uh, similar thing that happened to One Piece. Um, I mean, you know, One Piece here got the uh, the four kids, um, you know, infamous rap and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I, I yeah, still yo, think yeah, about yo. Pizza. And uh, it's, yo, ho, ho. it's the song. So how do you Samurai. smoke a lollipop, uh, Jeff? <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Like, you know, with, with Demon Slayer, we don't have that situation but um I, i'm still wondering if it's too little too late or if it's just enough and also too late but they're definitely trying to give it a push because they yeah. have the special Ediplex usa releases but unlike all the other ones so far they've actually got the regular editions released through funimation they've just released the final set uh the end of this month and stuff like that so that's interesting to reach that more mass market and stuff like that and like the collector market because they haven't done it uh, for any of the other series like uh, the fate series or any other ones well I mean, and remember they, they are owned by the same company sony so we should yes. mention that. <laughs> and and of course there's an uh, there's the appearance now on netflix which well which has my attention too and uh well the algorithm there um, <laughs> it at a point it it definitely it caught my eye, and I'm like, oh, I I do have you know an hour before uh, the taping, so I decided to watch Carmen San Diego. Hey. Um, which which Did you know, you find like, Carmen San Diego? Yeah, both both were on my recommendations, uh, so they know. <laughs> Carmen San Diego is a little bit. This this version of Carmen San Diego is a little different. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's uh, it's her more as a hero. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think I will now that it is on Netflix and I can I can legally access. Um, I'm not sure if a dub is on there, but especially if there is a dub, it might be a new uh, while watching while eating dinner kind of show. Yeah, what's up with that? I mean, uh, they had Broly on Netflix now too, the uh, Dragon Ball Broly movie, but it's the the the, the subs and not the dub. Like, what's up? Oh, with that? I could yeah, it yeah, be uh, could it be our uh, friend uh, Mr. VM uh, voicing the titular character? Uh, maybe one thing. Else. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I, I, Wait, I so so because of him, we can't like wow. I, I, is... No, I I don't I don't know. I'm I'm just making a a a, a completely random guess there. I don't like, think that would be a reason, but I, it also I'm wouldn't surprise me. Considering yeah. we're living in a world where people want to edit Home Alone two because of <laughs> one person uh, being there for a few seconds in a hotel lobby, then anything is possible. Man, yeah. I, you know you know you don't think about this type of stuff until they start touching like the shows you kind of actually like, yo. Wait, what's going on with that? Wait, Home Alone two? Yeah. Oh, they're gonna try to digitally digitally remove Donald Trump from all the future copies or past copies. He's in there for like a minute or something. A couple oh, seconds, really. Where he guides uh, Kevin McAllister, and he needs to go somewhere. He's like, "Oh, go this way, that way," but he's not mentioned by name or anything. He's just kind of there for one it's, it's, minute, yeah. barely. And well, oh. yeah, keep in mind, it's it's just there's a certain obviously it's meant for comic effect because Kevin's in the Plaza Hotel, and at the time of the movie, it was Trump's hotel. Now, in the months since, it's come out that Trump did give permission obviously to for them to tape that scene on the condition he get to appear <laughs> so and and i and a lot of people like to use the word he bullied his way into the movie now and now people are trying to digitally take him out and remains to be seen or at least there's a bigger push to have that done officially although people are doing it on themselves and Macaulay Culkin has actually noted a few of them and has given likes on <laughs> likes to quite a few of the attempts. And I like, heard that he wants to put his 40-year-old self somehow digitally into that scene, which is kind of crazy in itself. That's the latest version of that, yes. That's the latest version of that report. Oh. Okay. And somehow this goes away from... Stu uh, from Earwig and the Witch. <laughs> I, I did I did want to mention with Earwig and the Witch that I think that like the the backgrounds look beautiful. The faces look so lazy. Um <laughs> like and, and I was gonna say, like, you know, you know, th this is inexcusable in a world where into the Spider-Verse exists. But then I thought, well, no, it's it's Japan. Let's, you know, they have a, a shorter history of CG animation, but that even the trailer for the Lupin CG movie looks a lot more expressive and and interesting than the than what's going Great on movie. with Earwig. Great movie. So like I I don't know if that's an excuse. Um, I'm sure it. I'm sure that there's lots of beauty in that movie. Um, I've seen a a brief review and basically said the ending wasn't great but everything else story-wise was was good and you know again the the background and the general animation is good but i'm surprised with you know ghibli who's you know there's ghibli tears is almost a meme um just to how to how intricate and and attention how much you know attention to detail goes into a lot of those character expressions and the the faces kind of seem wooden to me or or plastic like it, it seems not right for for a company like ghibli seems like they just a couple more thousand dollars to, to spruce that up <laughs> I, I think that's part of the culture shock that we're about to see and i think that culture was within too as i said as we as noted this is this is ghibli's first attempt at a c at a full-on cg but we see the history making, yeah and this is not necessarily a, an excuse it's just they gotta, they, I think they're just getting used to this themselves. 
have you seen the part of the the documentary with Miyazaki where he's um you know trying to get that caterpillar CG short for his museum ready and he he's so frustrated with the animators and you can see these young animators having like their their dreams crushed as as Miyazaki is basically calling their work garbage. So I, I well, I'll, I will search out that episode for sure. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I know that this this is his son. Um, so again, I'm a little bit surprised that his son doesn't have, you know, as high standards. But again, I haven't seen the movie, um, so I will reserve my entire judgment. But my first impressions of the visuals, aside from the background and the the style, which I think is is fine, but it it seems cheaper than i would have expected i as i said i can only think of it culturally oh yeah and just let's backtrack for a couple seconds uh, we mentioned hbo max will be showing it in in the states streaming wise theaters wherever available but likely none here in canada it has aired apparently on nhk okay so nhk i think aired it at the end of december just before the new year I should uh, double check that. I have to say, Earwig looks pretty funny on that movie poster. <laughs> yeah, the the poster is, I think, really good. Yeah, it definitely catches the attention. Until you see the animation in motion, we'll have a better idea. But as Jeff was saying, a lot of these ones, it's like we kind of expected Japan to be a little behind the curve and stuff like that. And that's why I think when me and Kevin went to see. Uh, the Lupin movie, Lupin uh, the first, we were actually quite impressed by that. That's probably one of the most impressive CG movies I've seen on a Japan and stuff like that for the fluidity and the animation and how it all came together and stuff like that. Well, and maybe I, it, I don't know why I should feel that way, but I guess it's the way we've watched so many of these over the time. So we kind of come in with a certain feel and expectation. I think so. For reference, uh, in the links, and I'll give the I'll give you guys the link afterwards. We're done. There's a trailer, so you can at least get a sense of the motion. I, I've I've seen the trailer. It it's marginally better than the, the still shots, but still shot? yeah, well, I'm, I'm still not I'm still not super impressed. It's, see, as I said, I, I think of this more in terms of our impressions and culture shifting. I guess, I don't know if that's the right word, but it made me think about when Frozen came out and it was a, it was like, I think one of the, at least most noteworthy CG movies to become a hit under just the Disney banner. And here I was watching these previews thinking, okay, when, when is the Pixar name going to come up in this, in this, in, in this promotion? And it didn't. So Frozen was, I think, one of the first CG hits under just the Disney name. And we didn't think much of it at the time because obviously obviously by that point, um, Disney had taken in Pixar and they were joined at the hip. So what's about to happen in terms of Studio Ghibli with uh, Earwig here will be a little bit more of an adjustment, I think. And I think we're, you know, just like any other change, I guess, while good, it's sometimes tough to look at. It's tough to adjust. 
Yeah. And that's what we're about to see. And for both, and, and as I said, for both viewers and <laughs> production staff, I, this is the first time, this is the first for Studio Ghibli as well. And somebody had to, and I guess somebody had to do it. So, you know, throw the sun under the bus <laughs> on this one. Heavens knows, he's, uh, heavens knows it's happened before. Can't uh, wait to watch the rest of those documentaries now. I'm sure, like, <laughs> as Jeff mentioned, seeing the documentary and that, that they have experimented with CG and all this stuff before, but obviously they have a certain standard they've always set for themselves, right? So obviously we'll never know what happened before, but probably it never worked out the way they wanted and this project came to meet some sort of standard they wanted and this is their first kick at the can, good or bad. Good or bad. And you know, us here in Canada will eventually see it maybe on Netflix. You see, that's a, that has me. It does have me wondering, though. Do you think this will be covered in the in the Studio Ghibli deal that Netflix has? Probably not. Probably not. You don't think so? You don't think you think this will uh, this will have to be a separate negotiation? Should it ever appear on Netflix? Depends on the terms of the negotiation, right? If it says and, something uh, about future titles and, and the, stuff like that, yeah, like the, the distinct possibility that they have to pay for that separately. You think that you think? Yeah, possible. I mean. Well, or it sure. explains how they I mean, would pay for those additional ones. You never know. So. Sure. I mean, it makes sense because, you know, once again, to quote the great urban poets, the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> oh. Dollar, dollar <laughs> bill, y'all. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix doesn't have it yet to this point and that doesn't mean they they won't get it and doesn't mean you know i think i just don't think that i think that's to be determined i think more so mike that it's more the changing shift because of covid and stuff like that so they knew they had to find a digital means and they had already had the relationship for the ghibli films with hbo max so that's where they went but remember warner since they own uh both uh or att owns both warner and uh, hbo They've been using HBO now as the way to send some of their movies to market and stuff like that. Right. Now, that's the right. Theaters are closed. Because they've been using that more as a vehicle for their theatrical releases as of late. Whereas up here in Canada and maybe in a good chunk of the rest of the world, I don't know. We don't really have that structure here. Crave is not HBO Max, even though they have deals for various forms of HBO Max programming, including Friends, where, you know, they've been highly promoting the fact that they now, they're now they now the streaming home of Friends in Canada, which probably means, yes, they're going to get the Friends reunion when it finally comes up. Maybe, maybe not. I'd say book it. I'd say, I'd say book it as, as certain as you are, Mo, on when the Queen will die. So... <laughs> But I, I, that's a certainty. And we know, and there's, I would say, not necessarily well, precedent, yes, but in terms of the way they promote those things, there's the Fresh, the Fresh Prince reunion a couple months ago. Expect that type of press when it comes to the Friends reunion, whenever that eventually comes down in Canada. Sorry, Global. <laughs> okay, sorry, I, I, I broke somebody's train of thought. No, I was thinking... Uh... When we were talking about uh, Craven, that's like, I'm sure it'll be like everything else. They'll probably already talking with uh, Warner and others to figure out a way to get 
some of these movies onto their streaming platform and stuff like that, obviously, since we're living in a new world. And I think it's going to be hard to put the genie back in the bottle to say that people are going to go to the theaters and we're not going to have them almost day and date on those streaming platforms. Because remember, there always was a delay, and I think that that delay is now going to shrink even further. Mm -hmm. What was, like, uh, let's go back to Wonder Woman one more time. What was the case with Wonder Woman? It appeared on, it appeared just on a $30 rental, but with who? Everyone, everyone. Every, all, all, all major yeah, platforms? I, I think so. Amazon, everyone put my address. Google had it, everyone had it. And it was just a rental. Yep. It was just a rental. That's it. 30 bucks. And I heard you enjoyed all of that money, right, Mo? Let's not talk about it, guys. <laughs> dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Okay. Well, as I said, I, I, I'd want to watch, but I guess I should also catch up on my Ghibli watching as well. So I think I will, you know, I think I'll, I think I'll, I think I'll watch the part where Miyazaki makes uh, wannabe animators cry. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good part. Now, that was in the Blu-ray, uh, the Blu-ray documentary, right? There's more than one. Which one are we talking about? Uh, is it is it the NHK one? Ten years with Miyazaki. Um, I I don't know. I think there's a lot of um these ones that share footage. Um, uh, but this is the one where someone um spends a lot of time uh in his house with him. Like it's it's very conversational. Yeah, it's okay. ten years. That sounds that sounds exactly sounds like, like ten, 10 years. years. And I think that okay. one was released by G Kids on Blu-ray. And uh, there's one they released on DVD, I believe. It's on NHK so World it, too. It's not the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, then. Okay. Okay. No, I don't think okay. So. Yeah, there's it's a few, that, right? Yeah. If I think it what it is, it's it's on NHK World as well. So you can just get the app or look up the look it up on their website. Okay, those are my two bullets. Uh, which one do you want to go with next? We we got well, we, or we can end it now, and we'll be well under two hours. <laughs> yes. Okay. What what else? Uh, what caught your attention, guys? I think we were talking about our streaming future, just like we were before, and that uh, nothing lives forever, right? Because they were talking about Amazon uh, Prime, and that yes, Amazon still has anime on their platform, even if you forget about it. Some of it uh, is still exclusive, like Vinland Saga, but some of the stuff they had uh, originally, I guess, at the beginning when they started Anime Strike with all this uh, fire and bluster saying they were going to kick some ass and make it happen and then fizzled, is starting uh, to go out of print, basically. So some of them uh, are going to have to find, I guess, new homes, and some of them already have found new homes uh, for streaming. So I think they're losing, like, Scum's Wish, which uh, Sentai has. Just Because, which Sentai has on uh, their high dive thing as well. Uro Manga Sensei, which is on Crunchyroll. The Great Passage, which was released physically uh, this year, sorry, last year by uh, um, Discotech. But there is no streaming home then for uh, Great Passage, so that'll be problematic, but maybe they'll get it on Crunchyroll. And they said uh, Yuki Yuna is a hero, is also uh, off uh, Prime as well. And the other one, I think that probably is hmm. off as well because it was announced it's going to be on Crunchyroll and it was on this week was uh, Onihei. So, quite a list. And there's quite a few that I think may we may hear more, but some of it I don't think they really announced. People just realized, oh, I can't access these videos anymore. And that's how it sometimes happens. So there may be that, more. That's, that's sort of the feeling I had when I tried to continue watching Crazy Rich Asians. 
like some of them, like you think about the other one, I would think that would be coming up and I'm still wondering about because it's only been done streaming and they haven't done a physical release for Sentai is like Himito Imaru-chan season two. They've been sitting mm-hmm. on that for like how many years and haven't got the physical out and I've never mm-hmm. figured out why. Something must have but, happened. But Onihei uh, was a good one. It's like I went through that one this week and it, it's a great one. It's from... Uh, one of the founders of Madhouse and um, Mappa. What was uh, his name? It's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, oh, it was uh, Masao uh, Maruyama. Maruyama. Basically, uh, I think it was around 2006, he founded um, Studio M2, and they're the ones that did the animation. So the animation on that one is incredible for Onihei, and it's actually based on... Uh, a novel series that I guess started in the 60s and it went for the longest time so it's kind of like a reboot but it's in the Edo era and it follows this guy in I guess his early 40s uh, known as Heizo the Oni and he's part of the uh, I think what they call um, the uh, it's like kind of like a police force and stuff like that but it's the uh, fire and uh, oh there it is arson theft control and so he goes on these adventures trying i guess to prevent crime in edo uh, era and stuff like that kind of samurai drama asks so it's interesting but there, it is definitely a more mature show there's some violence in that involved mm. but i wouldn't be surprised given the era too so even though they probably embellish hmm. i'm just looking at this like and that one's interesting. That's from tms entertainment so that oh. put it on Crunchyroll. so i mm. wouldn't be surprised if Discotech might get just uh, like they might get maybe in the future Lupin uh, Part 5 because remember TMS is the home of uh, Lupin and of uh, Case Closed slash Detective Conan and many others. Well, it just had me thinking about like we we had all that talk in the last number of months about anime services all going Sony and wondering if there's any other players to, to eventually come and you know, now we hear a list of all these Amazon licenses expiring. And, and we haven't heard anything on them getting new exclusives. And I feel like their exclusive with Noitamina, with Fuji, has lapsed mm-hmm. because some of those shows have went to other players in the more recent seasons and stuff like that. And the last one, I remember the last few that they had exclusive was Blade of the Immortal and Vinland Saga and stuff like that. And that was from the previous year. So it's interesting to see if they've, maybe they still will have anime on their platform. It's just not going to be exactly like they had because they haven't really done the promotion or anything. People sometimes, yeah, they do have anime on Amazon. They don't promote it at all. Is Wotokoi still there? Wodokoi is still there, and so is Inuyashiki is still there, and those two are exclusive uh, to that, because that was part of the Noitamina deal, and those were two I'm hopeful will somehow make it out physically from someone, whether it's uh, Funimation or Sentai and stuff like that, and we've seen that even, I told you this week, that I think uh, another Netflix series was uh, taken out of uh, Netflix jail, and Sentai licensed it, and it was uh, Hero Mask. But that one, I'm not sure. That was an older one they did, and it was a Netflix original, and so I guess they thought it was a good one. But I'm still waiting from some of those other earlier ones, like Devilman Crybaby or yeah. uh, Little Academia. 
So I'm not sure what's going on with those because they have done the big one like Violet Evergarden through Funimation. So just I want my Carol on Tuesday physically as well. <laughs> okay. Well, there's nothing else for me to add to this to the Amazon Prime story. Stuff stuff comes and goes from services all the time, though. So it, it's a little depressing in one sense because obviously we hope there would be another player still i'll be happy yeah. i'm happy that but it seems like the noitomina exclusivity lapse just because i feel like with a lot of those shows they definitely didn't get as much buzz and not as much discussion was generated during the release of those shows because they're stuck on amazon there's always crunchyroll and some of them you might not always have uh, an outlet that would say, hey, this is interesting. Maybe I'll check something out. Like at least Wodakoi, we had the manga and that from Kodansha USA and stuff like that. Yeah, and I guess it had its own interest, right? Part. And then it's like, oh, maybe I'll, they have an anime and then you'd probably find out it's on Amazon, right? I would have created a lot more discourse on Vinland Saga than I otherwise saw. I think if it was on Crunchyroll, it would have been a different story. Yeah, I think maybe mm-hmm. no, it of course. Well, Sony's around, I guess. Okay, well, all right. Well, I want to save your the the cute one to the very end, Kevin. So, <laughs> uh, okay, let's. I, I uh, but, and that'll be the last one. But I, I I don't think we can go really anymore. Maybe I should just go back to James and Mo for a couple seconds here, uh, because maybe I want to get their takes on things we discussed last episode. Basically, my yes or no propositions that I did at the very end and get their takes. Where, where were those yes and no propositions again? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes or no, uh, Mo and James? No, I say no. The answer is no. <laughs> you can refresh my memory. Say it again. Okay. Well, I, well, I think I, I, and I think Mohammed may have just played Jeopardy with us on this one. And was it in regards to the, uh, was it Shonen Jump universe? Yeah, the concept of a, of a Shonen Jump. And when I think of that, it already kind of got that in game form on the DS with the Jump uh, All-Star stuff. And they had two of those games and it worked with the two screens and like you had the manga panels at the bottom and you're fighting each other Smash Brothers style. It was fantastic. And it was just so weird because it had all these different Jump characters in, not just Shonen, but stuff from uh, Strawberry 100% as well. All these other type of weird different series. (sighs) So yeah, so you wouldn't think it would work as a movie, just I don't think movie. it would work in a cinematic universe, no. That's why you gotta do that to me. It's well, like you might find a they they've tried, I know, with uh, as Greg said sorry, as Jeff said um before on that I think it was the PS4 and Xbox one was it jump uh jump something. It was like that 3D uh, g- game, and it just didn't work out that well. I forget what they called it. Was it Jump Stars or Jump Something? Jump Stars is one of them. Jump Stars mm-hmm. Victory Versus, I think. Yep, that's what it was. Yeah, oh. and I, it didn't. It didn't really do, and you could tell like they slashed it, so I don't think it did as well as they had hoped. Yeah, but it it didn't really catch me, and that feels like they were kind of going that route, but it just didn't work out. Mo. You know what it's like? It's like watching uh, the Food Network or any of those cooking shows <laughs> online. And you see these guys make these awesome-ass 
food and you're like, wow, that is super awesome. You're like, I can make that. It's food. It's ingredients and shit, right? So then you go home and you buy those ingredients and you rewatch it and you go, okay, well, now I'm trying to make this awesome thing. And it turns out horrible, shitty every time. I think I think DC has proven that you can't just look at Marvel and be like, hey, let's let's do that. But like, not that. And then fuck it. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't do it. So it should be like the one scene from Superman where his dad's in the middle of a bloody hurricane or twister <laughs> at a car, just looks him dead in the eye and says, no. I'm here no. to die. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh. like, would you do that? I think you'd be freaking your shit out if you were in the middle of a twister. But that, yeah. he just, you know, no. on. Every, time oh. I, every time I see that scene, I'm thinking to myself, man, he just wanted out. See, on that note, though, I I just watched the trailer for Superman and Lois just before we came on the air tonight. New CW TV show? They're like, yeah, DC, the DC uh, Cinematic Universe, whatever they call it, hasn't really worked. But the Arrowverse seems to have some traction. I think it's ending, man. Arrowverse, I mean, ever since Arrow stopped, it's like not really, it's not. It's not there. I, I, I like all the remaining shows, um, but and I'm I'm glad they didn't pick up the uh, the future Canary show because I don't think that concept was great. But I I think that the the crossovers they have done have worked well. Um, I think you- Flash has one or two seasons left, um, but I I do think it might be fizzling out. But we'll see how Superman and Lois does. Would, okay. Did you like? Did you watch the uh, the inf- the Infinite the last the last crossover the Crisis one? Yeah. Did you like it? I liked parts of it. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> parts of it. I, yeah. I, I think that, you know, it, it was ambitious. I I liked a lot that was there. I think that the, the first couple were better than the last uh, couple, but, um, it, you know, it was, it's a tough thing to do. Okay. It really wasn't that great for me. I mean, I, I remember the one they did with the... Uh, the wedding from like a few seasons back, and the Nazis were in there. It was like a, the multi-dimensional one. I like that one. That one was okay. The, the Crisis one they did last season or two seasons ago, just way too much, man. Just way <laughs> too much. Well, they're okay. So there's a proposition number one, yes or no. And the other one was Anime North. Will it happen? Yes or no. Yo, I'm uh, I'm gonna go like seventy thirty not happening. Like a thirty percent chance of it happening, seventy percent chance of it not happening. Mm-hmm. James, well, I guess we can always keep the hope. It's like they're trying their best, and we'll see how it goes. But it's going to be tough because there are so many factors outside of their control. But at least they've put up the plane that it's a possibility. But whether it's a small event, as uh, Greg said again, the fall maybe a Halloween dance or something that might be the more likely uh, option depending on what happens with vaccines and stuff like that, because I'm not sure we can get everyone done by September, regardless what anyone else says. It's <laughs> going to be a crazy time just to get our turn in line because we're the last in line and they're going in five year uh, intervals going oh, yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's going to be, and remember we all have to get two doses. That's the yeah. other thing too. And so It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out because that could factor in too. Maybe well, and how the pandemic continues. It does. Uh, well, as reports surfaced this week here in Ontario, it does help to have a family member with access to the vaccines. <laughs> or we could become a snowbird and go to Florida. Oh yeah, go to Florida. Well, unfortunately for that family member, 
who worked in the medical facility was their last act because they were forced to resign right after. Maybe they'll base the um, anime North on if the Olympics happen. That'll that's be like, exactly. yeah, that's right. exactly. Yes. It was, and now, and reports are coming out this week that Japan's going with it, man. They're not going to stop. Well, no, well, it's mixed because when yeah. the times of London said, no, it's not going to happen. The uh, government insider with uh, speaking on the condition of anonymity said they're thinking of asking for it to be canceled, but then it was quickly disputed refuted by the, uh, the IOC and then publicly by the central government that they're going to aim to do it. I think so, it's I think it's silly that they won't let them just delay it. Like they won't just shift down all the all the host cities and let them do it in 2024. Because like Japan's, you know, the 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 rumors that are leaning on yes, it's canceled are saying that oh, Tokyo sure is hopeful that they can try again for 2032. And that's what I heard. Yeah, they would bid again for it. And that seems so crazy. Like, it's like, just shift it down. They go yeah. next, and then the next city goes after, right? Yeah, that's exactly. What I, I mean, thought they, would they, make sense. they built all this stuff that's going to be outdated in 2032. Like, let them let them do it in as well, the, soon the as thing possible. Is, yeah, and the thing is, the thing is, they have, they're footing the bill. They still have the bill at the moment. What's the IOC going to take? How much are they going to pay for that? <laughs> IOC is just a bunch of shitbags. I'm sorry. That's that's why do you think I brought it, brought up that point? Right? Exactly. I mean, I mean, Japan it was I I would like to think that they they were banking on some sort of tourism boom or whatever as that happens. But they've invested a lot and it's their own money into that. Sure. And it would be nice to see them get some of it back. Could this be the end of the Olympics? Well, yeah, that, we've been thinking you're saying stuff like that for the last decade, at least. Winter's in danger. Heaven knows the climate. <laughs> <laughs> Vancouver every four years. Yeah. We'll just have a second summer Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Although, How do you ski down uh, a hell of grass, uh, Greg? I mean, it, it's, it, the, it's a big problem for me because normally I can track my birthdays on the Olympics. So if they cancel uh, the Olympics oh. or like delay them, I won't be able to tell when my birthday is anymore. Wait, what? Uh, oh, boy. Wait, what? <laughs> well, now. Oh. Hey, now. Okay. <laughs> hey, right, Jeff, how, how does that work? Hold on. Wait, how does that work? I only have birthdays when there's an Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm, I'm not lying. You still, be, you still be a child then? No, I've I've aged, but I just haven't had birthdays all the time. Oh yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, we know it. Happy birthday. Okay, that's about it. Uh, okay, well, I, I guess on a pleasant note at the end, way, way to go for a full circle. By the way, so we started with COVID stuff, and <laughs> the last real thing we talked about is a, is somewhat COVID related. But I think, we're, but I do want to end off on a lighter note because um, Kevin, it's kind of cute. Why don't you Why don't you explain it in a few seconds? So McDonald's is promoting uh, these two chicken burgers, and it's a collaboration with Touch, the famous '80s baseball manga by Mitsuru Adachi, and it has. Uh, how do I put this? It's one of them is just like a regular chicken sandwich, and then the other one is like has some lemon tartare thing on it. 
that's basically what it is but it's it's kind of cute it's kind of cute because it puts uh it, it puts minami the uh, main heroine from it having to choose between the two which is, sounds a lot like what she faced in the uh, story itself and so they do play the opening theme during this commercial and then apparently uh when they say touch in the song it's replaced with tatsuta yes and then and then you know much like the story itself uh one of them will be discontinued and only one will remain (laughs) (laughs) tatsuta is the burger Can't believe touch was all about uh, um, McDonald's burgers or chicken uh, sandwiches. Well, the, yeah, well, somebody said McDonald's. Now I'm hungry. Yeah, so this campaign is commemorating the 30th anniversary of the chicken tatsuta burger for McDonald's. And it's also this year is Touch's 40th anniversary as well. Way to go. Well, we I, I made that, that uh, thought last month about... The Koshin documentary and saying, you know, manga like Touch and some of the emotions involved in it, it's not that far fetched. What was depicted in the movie? And for reference, I think there's one of the, I know one of the podcasts that uh, I've been exposed to recently uh, has an interview with its director as well so uh, if i find it i'll put a link up in the notes okay wouldn't mind having some lemon tartare on some chicken actually oh no it sounds it sounds good i give that uh i'd go into a mcdonald's though to have that happen well, you can't win them all. Japanese McDonald's are of uh, at least thirty percent higher quality than those in in North America. Yeah, they, so they, well, they put care in. I guess they, there's more care put into those type of things. I think the joke was if you go into a European McDonald's, you're liable to get at least a better coffee than you would here in North America, of course. Oh, <laughs> hey, yo! I heard Italian McDonald's have veal sandwiches. I would be down to try that. Pretty, I'm pretty sure flights are pretty cheap now. Well, then, well, then, then there's the Philippines, and it's McPunsi. That's about it for this week. Okay, just quickly, what's on everyone's uh, reading or watching list just uh, this week? Just so, one thing. So I finished Japan Sinks. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Hooray. Hooray. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't yay? sound very promising. No, it was very good, man. You guys should watch it. Yeah, I know That's it's what good. I was saying. Okay, so on the... Um, on the right, compare it with uh, the ending of Grave of the Fireflies, more or less bawling. I don't think it's appropriate to talk about this on a podcast, Mike. Yeah, the the ending's I've complicated. Done, uh, that other way. anime like this, so but it sounds like it's a it's up there. Yeah, it sounds like they've done a lot of disaster. It would be a world, earthquake yeah, and that. It would be uh, an, um, something tells me it would be quite an experience. Wait, how would wait? Has anyone watched Tokyo Magnitude Eight Point I have. That was mm-hmm. a good one. So I'm wondering if it's comparable to Japan's Sinks. Because I like Tokyo Magnitude. So that's why I was kind of interested in Japan Sinks, but I just don't make anime watching a priority. I, I guess I've I've been occupied with other things. I I'm I'm still on Great Pretender, but I just got three episodes into the final arc. 
Yes, uh, dude, what? It, it's taken quite the turn. That's taken yeah. quite a turn, actually. I, I'm, I I'm on the second arc, Singapore, yeah. and it's pretty awesome. No, no, yeah, no, no, I, no. I gave you guys a good recommendation because it's That's got good. the studio way. It's got everything. And yeah, good, the crew good they show. have there, some of them, like I think the writer, he usually does live action and stuff like that in Japan. So you can kind of see that with how the stories and all this other things. So it definitely gives a different feel than the normal <laughs> anime and could reach more viewers. I think. It's hilarious because to me, remember I made that, that Ocean's Eleven comparison, right? Perfect comparison. Yeah, I thought too. I was trying to find it, and I think we both set on that. Yeah, and I and there's those moments when I you can start humming a little less conversation in Great Pretender, like you know when you realize they just got away with it, right? <laughs> that's where that's what I mean when I say you have that little less conversation moment. And I think they did it where they're going around the world, but it definitely feels like you're going around the world because on the Japanese and the English side, they're trying to match the setting. So it isn't always either in Japanese or English. They've done it where sometimes they are speaking Chinese if it's in the right position and stuff like that, or they are speaking English. And even in the English, they left a lot of that first episode when they were in Japan in Japanese, where it probably would make you think, am I on the Japanese track? And it's like, no, they did that for stylistic choice, and that's pretty big choice to make. They didn't know they're the way they're handling that is actually grabbing my attention. It's it's been a fun fun watch. I really should try to watch the remaining six episodes for me. So and then, well, and then I'm sure Mo will have a good ride too. It sounds like so. Yeah, and then and then maybe I'll I'll start watching Japan Sinks and go for another ride, or or Demon Slayer. Who knows. But the Netflix queue is long. Oh, imagine the. I just forgot. Did you guys? Uh, Netflix increased their prices two bucks. Yeah, I know that's kind of, that was uh, announced. My sister told me about that actually. Mm-hmm. I got an email this morning, kind of freaked out about it. I'm like, yo, what? <laughs> yeah, no, much- at least they let you know before they just took the money out, right? Because <laughs> you know they have to. They need the. They need the money to. Uh, Pay the rock, right? Isn't this all for the um, rock? I thought yeah, the rock wanted more money, so this is all yeah. for him, right? Yeah, well, they need the money to pay for Earwig and the Witch. Did they not give you the option to grandfather this year, like in prior times this has happened? Good question. Nope. Oh, no, good question. I, I like. I, I expect it, but you know what? You know what? I have not received that email, but I know that that's coming anyway. Kind of funny. Everyone said we're going to be cheaper in the future. We can cut the cord and just go to our streaming options. And now everyone's going to go back on the cord, I guess. See, I think that happened. <laughs> like people who thought that price was going to stick around forever are naive. Well, yeah. Well, the, the, it'll get interesting to me. I think. Well, the last last vanguard for cable television was always live sports. Right. Word came down yeah. this week. And this is, uh, and I guess this is an unrelated note at the end for the end here. And then we'll, and then we'll go get, get uh, and then I'll go get a McChicken. Word came down this week that Comcast is going to discontinue NBC Sports Network, and with it, like, and it does have some interesting sports properties, uh, with uh, having English Premier League soccer, NASCAR, and the NHL in its rights. And the reports are a lot of that sports programming will be shifted to USA Network. It is probably the uh, NBC Universal's most popular cable channel 
in, in their lineup. So in that sense, there's nothing wrong with it. But also a lot of that potential sports programming, they said, will be earmarked for Peacock, their streaming service. Probably mainly NHL stuff. Should they be able to keep the rights? The rights expire at the end of this year. So it had me thinking, where does live sports still sit on streaming services? And what will be the... uh, what will be the big one? What will be the moment for for streaming services when it comes to live sports? It hasn't happened, even though you've had services be able to scoop up some interesting ones. This notably to zone with uh, with with a lot of different soccer rights and the NFL but, rights, I think, for that one too, wasn't it? Uh, well, yeah, and NFL in in particular with Canada. But there's nothing significant in term a really significant one in terms of the big four. Stay tuned, folks. So, but I, 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 just as a thought at the end there, okay? And hey, look, I think this is going to be under two hours. We made it. We made it! <laughs> Unless you want to know what Kevin and oh, uh, Greg yeah. were watching. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you too, James. Okay, what's on the list? One thing. Uh, since uh, Funimation won't let me know when Dr. Stone's dub is coming out, I guess it's going to be the season four of Carmen Sandiego on Netflix. <laughs> cool. Kevin? I have the final three volumes of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 3 Stardust Crusaders in the reading queue. Hey, that's not bad. About time. Yeah, James. I think did I, did I ask for one from you? Yeah, I guess you did. But I think I told you off air, I said I was watching uh, Bartender this week, and that was the one we had talked about earlier that was being uh, brought over physically uh, by all the anime from uh, England being distributed by Shout Factory. And so it was great to watch over that. And I can give you the list of the 11 episodes because they gave me the cocktail uh, cards that actually gives me a recipe for making these drinks, which is great. So they had the <laughs> grasshopper, Pousse Cafe style. They had the Nicolas, what is it? Nicolas uh, Chaka or whatever that is. Margarita, Bijou, Hemingway Daiquiri. They had the Rusty Nail, the Aberdeen Angus, the Pastis Water, Gin and Tonic, Black Velvet, and Bartender. And they actually gave me the recipes, so if I had wanted to uh, drink them while watching, that would have been interesting. Cool. And I'm not sure if I would have lived. Yeah, no, I know where you're going with that. All right. Well, I, to the listeners out there, I'll give uh, a recommendation as well. Last episode, uh, we put up a link to Humble Bundle, a Humble Bundle offer more specifically. Kodansha's at it again. They've for until another four days, they will have a offer on just about everything Attack on Titan on ebook for them. So there's a couple of digital exclusives amongst that. And I think a significant portion of the Attack on Titan manga, if you're willing to put up for that. Uh, we've talked about Kodansha doing Humble Bundle deals in the past. So if you're enough of a fan 
or curious enough, this might be worth your while. Although, that said, the deal ends in four days, so there's a good possibility by the time you hear this. It could be over. I think they started it earlier in the month, didn't they, Mike? Because they, it was to tie into the final season, so they might as well get some more bang for their buck out of it, right? Before, yeah, it'll go. I think it's up to volume 26 and then a bunch of side stories and little art books and what have you, fan fan works and what and the like. But I said, it's probably a good thought, if especially if you ha are in any form of fan of the series and don't have that already. But anyway, that's about it. Does anyone want to add something? No? no or should we just uh, put a, one final plug for Matt Holt's book? No. I joined the Higurashi manga hunt. No. That's it? I decided to uh, buy it after all, and I, I some of those volumes are pretty expensive now, but I was able to nab most of them at retail. Hmm. Because I was smart and did not order them online. And I went to this bookstore in person. Well, you got them. Good for you. The, and if I do need the others, you can always borrow them to read from me and myself. And hopefully yeah. that hunt was not as bloody as the last two uh, episodes <laughs> I've watched on uh, <laughs> Okay. I still don't have the most expensive one, but uh, I may bite the bullet and pay a little more for that one we'll see how that goes but uh yeah it's because you know at the time i thought you know i i love the anime and even though the manga is the superior adaptation of the sound novel i for some reason decided no i'm good and then hmm. just and now that it went out of print within the last several months i regretted that decision Oh, kind wow. of funny. I was thinking, like, we have it on Steam for Higurashi for the visual novel, but the thing that still gets me is Prototype has been releasing these different classic Japanese uh, visual novels on Switch, like Clanid and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. no one's decided to do that for Higurashi or Umeneko, even though they do have Switch versions in Japan. They just need to get that, at least for Higurashi and for Umeneko, they just need to get the. Uh, translation just put it on there like prototype did with uh the ones they've released they've just taken stuff that english partners have used before and used that it makes you wonder if something's up behind the scenes makes me wonder I, and i, I can tell you it's fun playing it on there portably and stuff like that easy to switch between for anything menus everything between english and japanese for clanad for little busters and some of the other ones so. yeah okay anyway that's about it, I guess, right? Yeah. That's all we got for this episode. First time listening, we'd love to hear from you. Once again, contact information is in the show notes and at the beginning of this episode. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review so you can be notified whenever you hear any of our voices. Please give us a five-star review. Episodes come out generally once every other week, although depending on feedback and our feelings, maybe we'll start doing weeklies again, or maybe not. But once again, that's all we got for this episode. Until next time, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. 
Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. Unless you guys want to add something else. No? (laughs) I added my piece. Tempting fate there.